can't believe that you haven't seen it. Love it so much you really gotta stream it. Let me tell you every line right now. I can quote the whole thing since I was 12. Maybe your mom told you no. She said she wouldn't give you Welcome back to Movies We Missed. And before we get into the podcast, I just want to say, uh, if you are jumping in the bix to follow us or you know keep abreast of what's going on in the MWM universe, then you can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Movies We Missed, or you can find us on Twitter at MWM Chat. Um, that's where we reside. I actually live um, in that space. Um, in that space in the ether, basically. And mm-hmm. I'm just waiting on a message or a like or some sort of like ding. Uh, mm-hmm. That brings me to life. So yeah. Um, yeah. let's And it's nice into... that you refer to it as a universe too, because I think like we're similar in terms, just like in size, like to the Marvel universe and, um, you know, other universes that exist, um, like the Milky Way galaxy or other Or the things. candy bar. Yeah, yeah, fans of that. I should, I should, yeah, absolutely say fans of Milky Way. I don't like them. You don't like a Milky Way? What is in a Milky Way? Is that a nougat moment? Yeah, it's not enough of anything. There's no too little and not enough at the same time. Our producer Dave, our producer Dave just chimed in with nougat, and so I think that's just it. Okay, so it is a nougat, and I I will go on the record here and anywhere else saying that it doesn't. It's a it's a bar that needs a nut. There we go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I said it. (laughs) Uh, Jane, it's so good to to be here with you. I see you're rocking Mm. what looks like a side pony. I'm guessing. <laughs> I knew you were gonna call me out of my hair. It's um, it's having because a I'm like a side pony. <laughs> Maybe I'm just living my life. We're both fans of Lake Street Dive. They have a song At, called oh my Side God. Pony. And, Love uh, Lake Street Dive. If you guys are listening, right shout out to you guys. Obviously, yeah, absolutely. If the band Lake Street Dive, if all five <laughs> of you are listening, then we love you. We'd love to have what you if, on. We'd love That'd to have you on. Great. We'd love for you to just sing to us by ourselves. Yeah, Rachel. Rachel, we're Rachel. here for Rachel. Rachel's the side project, too, with someone else. It's called Rachel and something. Something with a Ooh, v. I got to find Vijay? out about that. I love her voice. I think it's Rachel and Vijay, I want to say. But check them out on Spotify. This isn't sponsored, but it could be. Well, two things of note, then. Okay. Well, then, okay. music-wise. So, first of all, Lake Street Dive put out a whole new album. I didn't even know about in 2021 called Obviously. Oh, you know what? I actually did hear about this, but I have not listened to it yet. Oh, yeah. I listened to the whole thing. It's great. Um, I, I just mean, found out about it last week. And then also, Yepa's album dropped on the 10th of September, which I hadn't realized. Mm-hmm. Um, two and I albums, haven't had a chance I, to listen to it uh, Two albums that I know were out there that I haven't listened to. And I've seen, like, I've obviously listened to Yepa's single. Yeah, uh, uh, do people know Yepa? Do the people know the the insane yeah yeah but she's crazy talented uh vocalist i think she's from georgia um she's really good she's amazing and you guys should listen to her our producer did just point out the fact that i did not yet introduce jane um i didn't (laughs) introduce myself i didn't introduce myself either i think we just sort of like we dove right in. in um you know still getting used to sewing those handles throwing those handles out there i think and trying to find the sweet spot in the intro mm. it's definitely easier in the outro than it is in the intro because it's like 
we sort of start right in on the banter. So it's hard to like right. figure that out. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this is my lovely co-host, Jane Hammer. Um, Jane Delilah Hammer, mm-hmm. if you if you're nasty, if you know her like that. And you um, should be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jane is not discriminate in any way. No. Um, no. She should though no. sometimes. But yeah, oh. and I'm your boy. You know the 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 neighborhood trash man um, is what they call me, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Brandon G. House coming through live and in color. Brandy Green. <laughs> uh, you didn't like it. You give me a new nickname yeah. every week. Pardon me for trying one out on you. Yeah. I mean, um, I do I do want to say that um, you and your husband, um, and I'm using this moment to air grievances, but you and your husband have fucking been coming for me lately. Every time we hang out, you guys gang up on me and absolutely roast me. Dave did just chime in with, oh, here we go. See what I'm so, saying? He's already over it. Um, my sentiments exactly. So we're going to push through. Um, and we're gonna just move into them. <laughs> I'm just of joking. Of course, of we, course. We we love you, Jane. You're great. And I know. And, and anything I, that's wrong with you, you'll figure it out. <laughs> I was going to actually say, in all you know, in in all seriousness, I know that the more you roast me, the more you love me because I do the same thing. So Dave has gotten a little spicy. He he roasts me quite a bit too. So don't feel <laughs> he's on a roll. He's on a he's on a spice. He's he's spicing us all up. He's, have you speaking? This is the last question, and then I'll stop. Okay. Yeah, he says he's a salty bitch right now. That checks out. Have you heard that song by Spice featuring? Do you know Spice? She's like I a reggae so. artist, a no. rapper. I think she's on one of the Love and Hip Hops, but she has this song. It's so good. It's like her and Shaggy and Sean Paul. And it's a really good song. And it's called well, can you tell Go it's Down There. It's called Go Down There. Oh. Mm, go Down There. Why not Go Down There? Mm, go Down <laughs> There. Why not Go Down There? Shaggy. That's basically the chorus of the song. And it's just, it's a great, it's a great song. It sounds fantastic. Um, they're it talking, it's about, being... it's not sexual. It's about going to the okay. crawl space underneath the house. Oh, okay. 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 So it's not about, um, either giving a blowjob or kind of like this or anything like that. Well, it's definitely not about that. Um, It is about, you know, it's about, it's about everybody else getting theirs, I think, more than anything. It's about cleaning out your crawl space in your property. Is that Exactly. Dusting off those cobwebs um, Mm -hmm. and pulling out any loose debris that may be trapped under there after a local storm. Isn't euphemistic in any way for anything else? No, absolutely not. I'm going to get you a shirt that says go down there. (laughs) I would love one. I would wear it. And I would oh, and then we can people do put, it all the time. And we can put your hair into like those Boderic style braids. Mm, yeah, that seems this this all seems great for me and definitely seems like I, it won't result in me being absolutely canceled. If so, yeah, any, if any like buddy comments on it or anything, you can just say I have a black friend. Right. I will say, and, and we, we've gone over this before that I, and I think you've co-signed this, that any time I am caught in a situation that, oh, I don't come out looking like roses, I can just say, oh, my best friend is black and then I'll be, I'll be fine. Right. Is that, that's how that. Yeah. I mean, it didn't help you in that Robert Durst case, but maybe (laughs) it'll, maybe not every situation, but um, if it's race related, then maybe that'll help. Okay. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. De- it's a great excuse. I love when people use it. Definitely means that you can't be racist if you have friends of color. So go ahead and use it. I'm going to. That's right. Coming from my little jinx. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Jane. Um, I, can I just say one thing before we get started? Oh, yeah, of course. 
What if I told you I think the wine that I'm drinking has gone bad, but I'm still drinking it? I don't know. It's really cool. <laughs> Dave just said <laughs> sad. <laughs> I mean, we've all been there before. We've all drank look, like wine that's turned a little bit. I look, it's not undrinkable, but it's definitely not it's the freshest it's ever been, but it's all I okay. had and oh. so I just so you don't have anything to... to explain anyone then. Thank you. I just You're exactly I want to be honest with you. Absolutely. This proves that you are exactly the person that I thought you were. That's what it proves. (laughs) So speaking of exactly the person I thought you were, should we talk about this movie? Absolutely. We should. Mm -hmm. Um, Dead Ringer. Dead Um, Ringer. From 1964, uh, Dead Ringer, starring the iconic uh, Betty Davis, the legendary um, uh, Carl Malden. My goodness, his name escaped me. I was debating on whether or not I was going to give his credentials and, you know, Academy Award winner, you know, that whole thing. Uh, We've got Peter Lawford in the mix, too, for good measure. Um, Who plays who? Who's Carl? Um, Oh, so uh, Carl Malden plays Sergeant Jim Hobson who is mm-hmm. the beau of um, one of our leading ladies, um, mm-hmm. you know, played by <laughs> BD. Um, and it was, the movie was written, was directed by Paul Henreid, who also played Victor Laszlo in Casablanca and also starred in several movies with um, Betty Davis as a romantic love interest um, at earlier points um, in both of their careers. This was uh, the director? Yes, but he starred with Betty Davis in uh, Now Voyager um, oh, as well. Okay. So he's doing a little, he's he's uh, a, a double threat, as they might say. Yeah, BB, he's got his hands in uh, many pots, um, so to pots. speak. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he was just a really popular um, leading man. He actually did Now Voyager right before Casablanca. Um, mm. So yeah, and also starred with uh, Betty Davis in Deception as well. Um, so I think that that was, I think there may have been a romance between the two of them, but I don't want to tell tales out of school. So, um, <laughs> no, that wouldn't be within your style. Of course not. No, that's not how I work. No. Um, so <laughs> yeah, this was uh, the movie. It was from 1964. I got Jane watching another classic. I know these, and I will start off by just saying, and sort of coming for myself, I guess, because upon rewatching this movie with David, I did realize that this is, as you all know, for our, <laughs> this is for our Halloween, um, our Halloween um, episodes, you yeah. know, Halloween month. And um, it was brought to my attention that like, it wasn't quite as horror as I thought it was by Dave. Although I do think it's a thriller, it's noir. Um, yes, and it's, it's got horror I, elements to totally it. Totally falls under the category of spooky movie. Spooky. <laughs> <laughs> I killed your family. <laughs> I killed you and took your identity over. Your mother squirmed so. <laughs> your mother squirmed so. You sick. Oh, that was the line. Puppy. Okay, Tara cut it. Um, so, <laughs> Leave it. So yeah, so that. Um, that's it was where fun. We it was. It was spooky. I mean, here's the thing. It's a movie from 1964. So like, 
it's not going to be like a bloodbath or like, yeah. you know, what we're used to seeing. Like it did remind me of more of like, uh, although there is death and murder, it reminded me more of, you know, uh, it was more of a thriller, more of a thinker, more of a twist and turny moment. Absolutely. And I was on board. I, well, good. I I'm happy. I mean, there were, I, I, when I, just when I thought I, what I knew was, okay, let me start that over again. You don't have to know how to speak. Thank you, baby. Just when I thought I knew what was happening, I, you know, they, I was turned on my head. Twist, twist, twist. Twist, baby. (laughs) Do you want to um, go ahead and read our uh, uh, synopsis that you wrote? I do. Okay. Give me one moment. Sure. Mm, go down there. Why not go down there? <laughs> it sounds like you're trying to sing it like a um in a spooky way. <laughs> so <laughs> this is um Ladies and gentlemen, was... do you want do you want me you to tell? Des- you can describe it. Okay. So, <laughs> Brandon has hopped off camera and then come back on camera wearing, <laughs> you guessed it, another fucking wig. <laughs> and it's go. sort of, it's like sort of a bob and it is reminiscent of Betty Davis's hair in this movie. What's and- the best I could do? It's the best you could do. It's actually a little bit more modern. You have a beach wave going on here, but it is like, it's got the bangs. It's got, it's the perfect length. Actually, I'm going to go out on a fucking limb. It looks great on you. <laughs> and I know you love hearing that. And like, I'm just like Abe Lincoln, I cannot tell a fucking lie. I think that's George Washington. But... Or, oh, is that George Washington? <laughs> Whatever, just like some old white dude who probably lied a bunch. I cannot tell a lie. Um, okay, so I'm going to read the synopsis. Um, okay. Having just attended the funeral of her lost love, Frank DeLorca, Edith Phillips reunites with her estranged sister, Margaret. The identical twin sisters haven't seen each other in nearly 20 years. What could have kept them apart? Oh, now I remember. The deceased Frank DeLorca I mentioned earlier wasn't just Edith's long lost love. He was also her brother-in-law. That's right. Margaret stole him right from under sister Edith's nose. And with this deceit came a life of caviar, mink stoles, and cruises on the high seas. Don't worry. Edith found her own way to occupy the last 20 years. While Margaret entertained dignitaries and socialites, Edith wrestled winos and kicked rapscallions out of her seedy neighborhood bar. While Margaret dined on duck l'orange and sipped Moet Chandon, Edith ate crow and quenched her thirst with salty tears. The only reason Frank married Margaret was because she seduced him and wound up pregnant. If it wasn't for that baby, there's no way Frank would have wed Margaret. He loved Edie. So when Edith finds out that the whole pregnancy story was as fake as Margaret's eyelashes, she concocts a sensible and unproblematic plan that'll set the scales of justice even again. 
She'll kill her recently widowed sissy Margaret and assume her identity. Why should Margaret live the high life while Edith putters around on Skid Row? It's her turn to enjoy the finer things. Now, she may have a hard time perfecting Margaret's mannerisms and handwriting, but she's going to pass the mirror test with flying colors. After all, she's a dead ringer. <laughs> that was beautiful. There's so much passion I'm behind it. Drained emotionally to go on that journey. <laughs> should, we, should we break dark. and then come back in a couple hours after you take a nap? I just want to journal for a second. Okay, um, yeah, that makes sense. I have a question. Yeah. Alexa, What's the... play Bare Naked by Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> um, what is the mirror test? Is that a real test or something you just made up for the synopsis? That's what I made up. Okay, I just was I wasn't sure if it was like an old timey thing that I'd never. Yeah, it's an old timey thing that, that people used to talk about. <laughs> but now that I'm thinking about it more, it's just like, what could it be? You look in the mirror and you are gonna be insufferable because you can't pay attention. You are only flipping that wig and posing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you do look gorgeous. I will give you that. But this is a podcast. You have to speak. No, of course. No, I was just letting you go for a second. Um. <laughs> okay. Should we get right into it? We should. You guys, I just, just so you know, he's literally like. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm sitting and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to talk about the movie. Yeah, the vanity is unbelievable. Um, oh, it is, side pony. <laughs> I. You're obsessed with your with your high side ponytail. Oh my god, it looks terrible. I just did it to get it out of my hair. <laughs> you said it, not me. So. <clears throat> Anyways, um, so we started from Los Angeles, and the first thing I noticed is that the music is. so so intense like it starts off it's a lot but i kind of loved it because it really is what you think of as like overly dramatic old-timey music for a thriller and so it very much fit and then i noticed that it was andre previn and i was like i know that name and apparently he's like a hugely like prolific (laughs) yeah prolific He's done a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah, Previn, yeah. No, he's a big deal. He did, like, My Fair Lady and other ones that I can't think of right now. But he, he is a big deal. So, And that's the thing, like, throughout the movie, like, the music is so intense. And, like, <clears throat> it just starts off that way. <clears throat> I agree. No, it's really, it's really intense music. And it really sort of sets the tone in case you weren't sure that this was going to be, like, a a gritty thriller. Mm-hmm. It is. And you are ready. And you, first thing you open on is a funeral, you know, in a um, cemetery. Mm-hmm. And um, we're in Los Angeles and she gets off, uh, Betty Davis gets off the bus and <clears throat> she is um, attending a funeral. You don't know who the funeral is for, but she keeps like looking at this woman in like a thick dark veil and yeah, this I mean, woman it's just... in like a, it's like a prohibitively dark veil like it's like opaque yeah, but also can't... i will say that if you pay attention though the woman in that veil is not betty davis of course like, not. it is clearly like a woman who is much younger than her and it's like you can pretty much see her through it <laughs> at one point i was just like what what are y'all doing 
Like, well, I had no idea because I didn't look any of this up. So I didn't know. I didn't think to look really Oh, for sure. You weren't thinking that's supposed to be Betty Davis's twin. That's supposed to be yeah. this character's twin sister. Yeah. No, of course. So those first couple of shots of her in the graveyard where she's got this huge veil on, you're like, okay, I can see somebody under there. Mm-hmm. I can see a woman that seems to be younger than her. And you may even think it's a daughter or a niece or something. And then like... Yeah, it's not but until I, you that's get... the thing. I didn't even clock that it was somebody younger than her. I, I and I think I've seen it before, so that's probably a part of why I this time watching it with like a slightly more critical eye, I was like, oh, of that's... course, yeah. And then like that's the thing is like I was totally blown away, but by, by the reveal, so they like take out they're in the car like driving back to um maggie's mansion but you don't know that at the time you don't know what their relationship is they just have conversation but she's still got that veil on she's still got the veil on so you're still not 100 sure although you kind of can intimate because of the voice like but i didn't even do that i didn't you didn't even okay okay no because i think also when i watch these things like unless someone has a really distinct voice it's hard to tell because i think everyone sort of speaks the same way you know I mean, I, yeah, it's also, it's easy for me to say that because I have seen the movie before and I I hear Betty Davis in the voice just because I I know I that also, it's her already. I also, That's like, don't really know Betty Davis's voice. Like, I know okay. what she looks like. I'm, mm-hmm. I, You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure I've seen other Betty Davis movies, although I can't think of any off the top of my head, but, like, I wouldn't know what her voice sounds like. I know exactly what she looks like. You know, she's got those peepers. There's a song written about them. Jim Collins. Um, <laughs> she's got Davis um, But I, that was one of the things I noted, too. It's like, this movie's entirely black and white, and her eyes, like, still sparkle in black and white, which is, like, pretty amazing. She's, you know, she, she had those for her entire career. Like, they're... I mean, well, yeah, they're her eyes. Of... No, but I mean, she. No, I know that, but I mean, she had that. Uh, the bold inside ponies just cackling away. <laughs> I mean, no, but I mean, she had like she had that that stark quality though. She had right. that thing. Some people have certain attributes about them, but they lose their luster over time. And I just mean like mm-hmm. her entire career, she sort of possessed that ability to look almost look through you in this sort of like imperceptible way. Um, yeah. And yeah, anyway, yeah. She, and I it's mean, jarring. She's a movie star. It's perfect. It's perfect for this role because she is like you are trying to figure out her like motivation the whole time and trying yes. to figure out like are you a good person? Are you a bad person? Like why did you ultimately end up doing this? And you know how like I found myself rooting for her as of course. Yeah, like you wa- you wanted her to get away with all of this. Absolutely. Um, yeah, which no, is, you want her to win. Which is hilarious because she literally murdered her twin sister. So, like, how are you rooting for someone like that? But I think it goes to show that, like, when, A, you have someone who is, like, a skilled actor who really does the work to, like, make you get on their side no matter what they do, which I think is just appearing human on screen or, like, appealing to, you know to us based on her story you know she basically was like cheated out of everything in her life and her sister lied to her and stole her whole life that was supposed to be hers and you're like i mean i don't want you to kill anybody but like i see where you're coming from well it's also funny because it's like 
it's also that thing with like narrative too where it's like we take what we're given and like mm-hmm. we accept it but it's also like frank's not alive to tell like his side of the story so it's like totally. all we have is like you know we have edith's version of events which could or could not be true because it also is like point. but it's also like i mean you know the whole the whole beginning we find out that like edith was in love with frank and then um Margaret ended up going on her behalf to see him to bring him something from Edith and during that visit somehow became pregnant and then Frank felt obligated to marry her as a result of this but then later on we find out that like Margaret lied about being pregnant in order to get Frank to marry her and they never had any children and she was never pregnant or the or the two of them fell in love and both decided to lie to Oh, for sure, yeah. But it's just like Edith's like POV on this whole thing is like, you stole him. But also it's like, she didn't force him to have sex with her though. That we do know. Um, So like, that's the decision that Frank made to like- Of course. (laughs) Margaret. Either way, he, unless, unless, unless she did a, a classic twin twist where she said, oh, actually it is your girlfriend Ooh, that would have been Edith. that would have been a that would have been a lovely a lovely like final nail in the coffin for her to be like well it was it you know it all happened so quickly i yeah i told him i was you or he he called me he called me edith and i saw how badly he wanted me to be you and i i couldn't bring myself to say no it's like but you did at some point because at some point he had to realize that he had sex with you at the right. wedding i would guess <laughs> um so there yeah, was a it's reveal like, at some point, and it was either or, before or after they had sex, or like post coitus, and then her just being like, "You silly fool! I can't believe you fell for that." <laughs> I'm Margaret. I'm Margaret, and you're trapped. Um, <laughs> she, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's very that, but it also like there's like that moment towards the. It's funny because like Margaret actually doesn't do anything like. She does things that are messed up in the past potentially, but like she doesn't actually do anything like that bad. Although well, we're still rooting for like, the... well, I mean, she, she, I mean, yeah, but I just mean like as what we know, the piece of the story that we know, like Margaret didn't really do anything that horrible. Um, we know that she stole her her sister's man, and she we also maybe got don't to marry know. Her. Again, we don't know the specifics because there's never a confrontation between the two. So like Edith, well, there's finds a out... little, there's a little bit of one well, when she admits that she did it. Oh, when did she do that? In right the hotel she... room, when she when she confront when she when Edith decides to to go through with the plan, uh, premeditated murder, um, <laughs> she calls her sister to her hotel room to her apartment. Sorry, and her sister arrives at the apartment and she confronts her about yeah. about what happened and about her lying about having had a baby that died at a at an early age. And finally, Margaret basically says, "Oh, it's true. You know, I I, I wanted I wanted him so and." I knew That's he could give me right. this kind of life. And then that, and then she's like, thanks for that. Here's a bullet to the dome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm justified now. Uh, I, so... I, and that does, that, I forgot about that. That does help, like, at least you sort of know. But then we also find out at the end that maybe Margaret was complicit in killing her own husband, too. So it's like, Margaret seemed like she was kind of evil in a also, lot of ways. It, the age is really interesting in this movie, too. Because it's like, first of all, Betty Davis is 56 and looks every day of it. 
Um, no shade, but just, you know. No shade, but she's been smoking those cigs and drinking whatever. And it's, it's, yeah, I mean, a fi- but this is what I say sometimes, like a 56 in like the 1960s or the 1950s, it looks different mm-hmm. than 56 today. Angela Bassett Absolutely. is 61 years old. Not Who that is? anybody should be compared to Angela Bassett, but I'm just saying. Like, oh my God. Angela Bassett is an actual unicorn person though. I like, think like she's yeah. like, she looks like she, she literally looks like she's 32. Like it's upsetting how good that woman looks. I get mad when I think about it. She looks younger than me, and she could be. Jane punches the air when she thinks about it. <laughs> um, and not that we're saying that any woman of a certain age should look a certain way. Like no, all no, women no, no. are beautiful. <laughs> but I guess int- I am like fully valuing that over like looking your age. So my well, bad. I am what, myself not perfect. <laughs> but it also is interesting. If you didn't already that- know. I didn't know that. This is the first time I ever heard you say it. It feels good. Thank and it's you. actually affirming uh, for me for a number of other things that have nothing to do with the podcast. So okay. thank you for finally <laughs> saying it. Um, but uh, yeah, but there's like, it's that thing too of, of actresses. It's so interesting when you watch movies from the 50s and the 60s and you'll think like, oh, I wonder. But it has a lot to do with like makeup, lighting, mm-hmm. like skincare that we have. The fact that a lot of these people were chain smoking cigarettes from the age of like 10. They were just right. like chucked to them by like, Otto Priminger or like, you know, one of the, like the head of like Jack Warner, just like, here, take these, take these uppers as well. This will keep you peppy all day. Right. Exactly. You're Shirley Temple after all. It's just like <laughs> literally handing like cocaine gum to like a toddler. Um, we don't want her to fall asleep or anything. We don't have time for naps. <laughs> a cocaine bubblelicious. I would love um, that. <laughs> <laughs> Cocaine-licious. 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 Definition. Make the boys go crazy. Shut up, Fergie. Um, but... <laughs> we miss you, girl. Don't ever stop stopping. I didn't know what we miss you, girl, man. I thought that was like an RIP. No, no, I just meant like we haven't seen you in a while. But last time we heard from her, she was butchering the national anthem. <laughs> she, released, uh, she released an album. She did oh, release an know. album uh, a couple unaware. years ago, Double Duchess. I'm not, I'm not keeping up with her. She released so. an album. She released videos for every single, a la Lemonade, you know? Oh, did um, you? <laughs> Good for her. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, she's 56 years old. And then at one That's point, crazy. her sister says, like, you know, we haven't seen each other in 18 years, which leads you to believe that it was around 18 years ago that all this happened, which mm-hmm. would make her, like, 38 which feels Which is like too old in the 50s or for this in to the have 40s all... yeah and also like it sounds when they're talking about frank at first it sounds like frank was around their age and then mm-hmm. later on i think it's um there's a moment where peter lawford calls frank the old man and then you think, was he older than them? Because it, that was not the story that I got from them. the little bits of backstory that Edith and Margaret gave about Frank during their um, scenes together. It sounded like he was around their age, a contemporary. And so it was yeah, interesting thought- Aaron refer to him as like an old man, sort of alluding to the fact that like Margaret was maybe a gold digger. But that was not the vibe. Yeah, it sounds like he was it- as young and naive as, as Edith was when all this happened. 
Yeah, I mean, the the age stuff is really blurry in this movie. I think it's really blurry, and I think it's, like, they just, especially in 1964, they were just sort of uh, hoping that, like, nobody was pulling out the old calculator. It was, like, it was like they, it's, like, they're staring at us with, like, an eyebrow raise. Like, I dare you to bring up the age. Thing. Well, yeah, I'm, and I'm sure that when they pitched this movie, I'm sure at Warner Brothers, that was the look that Jack Warner got from Betty as well. <laughs> Like, say something. <laughs> Give me a reason to rip your face off right now. Well, she's playing a spry 42-year-old. And that turn of her face, just like, give me a reason. Give me a reason. <laughs> do it. Do what Tracy Chapman said to do. Give me one reason. And I'll, I'll um, turn right back around. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, we just have to accept it. Um, mm-hmm. But it is, uh, it is really funny. Also, I... Um, <laughs> I did want to uh, ask you a little pop quiz question. Oh, I love um, a pop quiz. quiz did me, baby. you um, recognize um, anyone in this movie from a movie we watched not too long ago? I did. And here, I didn't even look this up because I was so certain. Um, they didn't have any lines or she didn't have any lines, but it was the woman who, my gal, who sang the Roly Poly song in um pillow talk was also the musician at Edie's bar yeah 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 so they, I was, they hired our girl again five years later did. she was back 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 again ready back, to back, back again not didn't say anything didn't sing even though she has a lovely voice but she her did, name is did. perry perry blackwell she did not yes. i really wanted to reprise of the roly-poly song I'm um, glad she didn't. I'm fucking still offended by that song. <laughs> she um she did. I did think it was interesting that she um that she was listening. There's like the conversation where like the landlord is essentially like telling like Betty Davis's character of Edith, who is the sister who has owned a bar. And yeah, Perry Blackwell is our producer. Wants to know Perry Blackwell is from Chicago, so shout out. Um, <gasps> shout out to her. Finest. Um, so, um, when the, there's a scene where the landlord is speaking with Betty Davis as Edith. So we basically get the full picture of the fact that, um, that Edith is in a certain way financially. She's, she owns this nightclub. It's not doing great. They allude to the fact that it has something to do with her having a bit of a bleeding heart and like wanting to sort of like help anyone who is in need, um, and placing that sort of above commerce, I guess, business. And um, mm-hmm. so the landlord says you're three months behind in rent. So you're out at the end of the month, basically to her. Um, and then um, we do get a little, and, but while this is going on, Perry Blackwell's character is sort of setting up for a night of playing music. And we see her eyes sort of glare over at several points. And I just thought like, I, I'm loving that she's like probably peeping all this and making notes 100%. of the fact that her schedule as far as performances will be wide open in a month from now. So she's probably like, oh, I guess we're not going to stick to our, you know, our be faithful to our agreement of me coming in here every Wednesday. It seems like you're, you're in a way financially and I'm probably going to Yeah, it doesn't seem like cuts. you can afford me anymore. But right? I think it's so funny because it's a similar thing that they did in Pillow Talk with the people when she played the character who played the piano in Pillow Talk as well although she had a much larger role in Pillow Talk where it's like (laughs) she's and there's a drummer with her too in this or she's like sitting playing the piano and there are all these conversations in the bar and her and the drummer are just like going watching from conversation (laughs) to conversation you know they're just thinking like oh white people 
I know. Well, and then the fucking bartender goes. He's like talking to. Oh, um, did you clock that? Yes, of course. That's so subtle. That subtle, subtle ass fucking line where he's like, look at these crazy noisemakers. What are they doing that a jukebox couldn't deliver? And it's like, how dare you? (laughs) Like, he doesn't say it, but I know it's racist. And like. Why are they crazy noisemakers? They're but literally also, sitting there, like, quietly tapping on the piano. But also he goes drums. further than that, because right after that, he says, he says, and you know, like, the type of people that they bring in are paying customers. That's what he says. <gasps> I didn't hear that yeah, part. Yeah, he says that right <gasps> after that. He's like, yeah. The type oh, my of God. I was so in. excited writing down that first wow. part. I was like, I know this is racist. I didn't hear the second part. Oh, excited my God. about well, the racism. Well, then it's like, <laughs> not excited, but I was just like, what the? like writing it down yeah no and then oh he's like God. you know these you know the kind they're bringing in on exactly paying customers it's like yeah we, we get where your stance is yeah exactly oh my god and i like and i love that like the writer and the director were like let's include that that's <laughs> let's a truth. keep it here it's that's an a important, truth for all time it's an important part and honestly it probably is a truth i'm sure there are a lot of racist bartenders back in the day yeah, I'd bet my life on it. I probably would have <laughs> lost my life if I went to some of these establishments. Oh, God. Um, um. <laughs> a little bleak. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so like, it's like clear that like mama's not in those bills. No. Um, and then that sort of, I think, there's the moment. So there's so in the very beginning of the movie, right after the sisters are reunited, they go back to, you know, the mansion, the California mansion that Margaret now lives in by, you know, with her servants and everything since Frank has passed. And she just goes to her closet and starts pulling out hand-me-downs that she <laughs> wants to give to her sister. Um, and she just starts throwing things at her, basically, like stuff that she doesn't need anymore. And she's <laughs> like, you'll be able to make do with this. You know, you're going to make out, you're going to make out like a, like a bandit t- today. It's so shady. It's so shady. She's just, oh, it's so shady. She's just chucking <laughs> things at her. Like, and it's like, she's like, oh, here, Poro, take these. <laughs> it's like, it's like, there's no remorse. There's no, like, maybe I should, like, approach this with a little bit more tact. It's like, let me just throw these fucking clothes at you. Well, she expects, I think she just, I think Margaret just expects that Edith's going to be, like, salivating at the mouth to get her hands on these clothes. And so she's like, Ooh, grateful gratefuls looks like a different color on you. One might confuse it with smug. Um, but she's just chucking items that Edith didn't ask for at her. No. Um no. and so that makes for like, I mean, sort of to set up the contentious relationship. And then mm-hmm. like after Edith leaves, she like she gets in the car. At this point, she's like disgusted by her sister, but also she's sort of resigned. Her sister basically, they haven't spoken in over was well, in 20 years and i mean marg well margaret didn't even know that edith had like lived in la for 10 years she's like shocked when yeah. she finds out and then she mentions the baby you know and like you know margaret mentions having you know gotten pregnant with that baby and then lost the baby soon after and then like on like i love the chauffeur like on the ride dropping like <laughs> margaret dropping edith off at her at her like establishment or whatever she mentions like you know them having a baby and the chauffeur is like nope and she's like, <laughs> didn't no, happen. But, but you know that that one time, and he's like, if one time means never, and she's like, yeah, yeah, of course, never, except when it happened. 
and he's like, he's like, I've yeah. been around for forty years. This could he's never like, this happen on my where... watch. Yeah, he's like, oh, maybe you don't understand it in English, so I'll say it in another language. No, <laughs> and she's like, nine, huh. yet, exactly, yet, mama, no, baby. Um, no baby aquí. And so, Adios. And, and so she's like, it's hard for her to wrap her head around the fact that like there was never a pregnancy. And he is like, he is like, I need you to understand that if there was a baby, I would know about it. There's no tea that pours out of this kettle without me sipping it, mama. I like, I have a note where I was like, I would love to have a chauffeur, but I would need him to be a little bit more tight lipped. With my it's husband. also like she didn't ask. Also, I don't think she asks him. She didn't. Well, she mentions. Uh, I feel like she, she mentions, mentions it. She, she mentions, mentions it. The baby. Like, she mentions. Uh, no baby. Yeah. <laughs> like you must have your facts infused because I know I've been working here for forty years. So no baby. Stupid. Not in her body. Um, and he's just like, no. And like, it's just, and then when she confronts, when she confronts later on, she confronts Margaret about it. And Margaret's like coming up with her lies on the spot. It was like shallow <laughs> lies. Um, and Margaret throws out the line. That's like my, that's like one of my favorite things when people lie. I love it when people are like, I don't entertain such questions. It's like a way to try and work your way to that moral high ground. Yeah. That's your last, that is the last line of defense you got. It's what? so stupid. And people do that all the time. People do it all the time in movies. I don't know how much people do it in real life, but in movies. I do it all like, the time in real life. Although of course I don't... you do, but it's when you're lying. But it's also when I want to pretend like I'm Betty Davis, probably as well. Of course. <laughs> Did you notice? Oh my god. So <laughs> just to like bring home the fact that like Margaret has way more money than Edith ever will when Edith so Edith decides she's gonna invite her over to her apartment to <laughs> spoiler alert fucking murder her and so she calls up margaret and she's like hey sister i need you to come over and margaret is receiving she's like lying on a massage table getting a massage and i don't know if you noticed but <laughs> this masseuse is giving the worst massage the of all worst time. massage <laughs> ever it is first of all it's not a massage it is kind of violent but yeah, it looks first, like he's hurting her. Well, at first he's literally just rubbing, he's just rubbing her arms. He's rubbing yep. his 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 hands up and down her arms. Just mm-hmm. literally. Which is just like, what is this? It looks like he's jerking her off. On a side note, um, at that point, jerk off, that's a lot. Edith calls Margaret. Margaret's getting a massage. It's just this man shaking her at one point. And like, <laughs> and her maid is also like so close to her. Her maid is like at her head. I think yeah, with the what is phone, she doing there? What is the I, maid She may be holding the phone. I don't know. It's a okay. lot of energy and it's a lot of people around. And that would make me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> that many people surrounding me during a massage. It's like, mm-hmm. what is this, men.com? <laughs> what is men.com? Is that like... It's an adult gentleman's site. Oh, okay. I was it was just the first one that popped into my head. <laughs> I do... I will say that you have a different energy with this wig on. Oh, because I mentioned an adult gentleman's site? No, just like I was just thinking about just the way you hold yourself is different, you know. You so let me like get this you... straight. Wait, I'm the rookie, but my features are gonna show two times your pay. Coronavirus isn't real. My cousin is gonna die. The vaccine made his balls huge. Um, um yeah, so, so she gets her to 
come to the yeah i'm sorry we're gonna say jenny no i was just gonna say let's get to let's get to the cut to the chase she invites her over to shoot her in the face okay but like nobody heard the gunshot you got a full bar yeah well they do the cutaway to the bar where like the guy is like gently like hitting like a drum set and it's yeah. like very gently. The music is not boisterous. It's one person on like an <laughs> organ and like another person like playing like a like a light drum set, whatever that mm-hmm. means, a drum kit, whatever. It's like, it's not, this music is not boisterous at all. And so when they do the cutaway, you would expect like a really intense like rim shot or like him maybe hitting a cymbal or something that would mm-hmm. at least be like, okay, this is in some way echoing that like cacophonous noise, mm-hmm. you know, of a bullet maybe in the apartment above the bar. Because everybody knows that we all see the woman walk in and she asks and everybody in the bar turns to look and she says, I'm looking for my sister, Eat. Edith Phillips, and then they direct her upstairs. So like, it's like everybody knows that a strange woman with a veil on just came through, although they can't see her face. (laughs) But then like, she gets her up there and like, it's game on. It's game on and she shoots her and then she defiles the corpse, not in the way you're thinking, you little perverts, but she changes her outfit. She swaps outfits with her. And as Dave pointed out, there was not a drop of blood to be found on the body. (laughs) of our now deceased Margaret. She literally, like, her head is, like, laying, and her, her head is just laying forward. And, like, with ease, um, Edith oh, gets, slips her clothes off and puts them on her and then leaves her sister in her rags. And um, <laughs> and it's, like, and she, like, arranges it. I, I love how she, like, she arranges it so that the gun is, like, where it would be if it fell. And oh. she, like, tries to wipe off the gun fingerprints fingerprints but she uses her like leather gloves which her hands are all over she barely wipes off the gun also when she tries to like when she tries to figure out the trajectory of the gun she like puts the gun like she puts the gun in her sister's lifeless hand and puts it up to her temple and then just drops it it just like drops (laughs) on the ground it's like that'll do science done (laughs) like there's like people who's science classes in college people whose whole career like trying to figure out the trajectory of a gunshot and she's like don't worry edith's got it although i do love that Mulaney like stand-up act when he talks about like the old-timey detective and he's just like if literally if you walked in and like the murderer wasn't standing right there with the weapon in their hands that was sort of the end of it yeah that, that was all you could do there is not like there's nothing you can do to figure it like out. maybe like a sort of a cursory like search for maybe a, a rogue fingerprint in the wrong place but like other than that i mean it's other really, than that you got a cold case on your hands it's either yeah i'm gonna spend a couple hours puttering around here am i gonna make it home for that corned beef that my wife made like <laughs> you end your night the way you want to i've got a mistress to call it does seem like a theme throughout all of this. Like the police chief doesn't give a shit. The police chief <laughs> could not be less concerned. Every she time wants any death every is every case to be closed he's like, instantly. <laughs> exactly. He is ready for it to be done. He's like, let's let's put a bow on this present and send it off to the orphanage because I'm a done. Um <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna slip out. Uh, I'm gonna go take a little nap. I think you guys can wrap up this paperwork. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like he's doing loads and loads. No, of this paperwork. is the place you want to commit murders um, because he's he's bogged down and he's just like, looks like a suicide to me. Close. <laughs> yeah. 
He literally, I'm like, trying to find, I wrote down the fucking, what he says, like, after they bring her to, they bring Edith, who is, um, now, who is posing as M- Margaret or Maggie, to the police station to tell her about, um, or to question her about her sister's death, and, oh, here it is, and the police chief literally goes, who, re- whoever really knows in these cases, well, I guess we can mark this case closed, <laughs> like, that's a direct quote. <laughs> yeah. Like really phoning it in. <laughs> well, any any police chief that is operating the way that I do or I would in the situation isn't the one you want um, <laughs> solving. So that seems like a very me approach to solving some of these cases, especially these boring ones. It's just like, ugh, let's close this snooze fest. <laughs> Um, also, when she walks in the room as Maggie for the first time, and her Jim, the um, the sergeant that she's that Edie is friends with, um, she like walks in. She's supposed to be Margaret, and obviously they're identical twins. So he's looking at her because he's never seen her. He didn't know that she had an identical twin. And the look that Betty Davis gives this motherfucker, she like gives him like the widest eyes. Like she instantly recognizes him, and it's like, girl. <laughs> also i know this is a different time and a different you know a different time for movies and they're really trying to give it to the audience that she's struggling with you know um yeah she's struggling with like the the dichotomy of like being these two existing as one woman while while being another one truly but yeah it's like if you're gonna try and pretend to be like your wealthy sister you need a better game face like there's also a, a much better game face because once she like sort of like slips into her sister's life she puts on her clothes she leaves the seedy motel gets in the car goes back to her home all as her sister posing Why as margaret keep now calling this the seedy motel do you mean her apartment above yep the bar? that's what i mean okay. um so when she leaves the her seedy apartment she gets in the car she goes back home and then like the next day the detectives show up and she gives her reaction to finding out that her quote-unquote sister edith has died <laughs> is not enough it's like, uh, th- this is the thing I wrote down she, like, several giggles. times. She does. She starts giggling at one point. And she's like, she, the reaction she gives when they're like, um, your twin sister died. And she literally, you could have told her that she left her coat at the country club. And that's, that's the same reaction that she's giving. It's, um, yeah, it's very, like, surface level. And it's, like, even for, like, a sister who you had, like, uh, you know, your, it's your identical twin sister. And even though clearly there was, like, issues in this relationship, it's still, like, you, like, you would just expect a bit more. Even still, I mean, everyone, look, I know people who have had fraught relationships with family members, you know, and they still are, it's still upsetting when they pass away you know what i mean like you know i remember when my mom's biological father died she didn't really keep in touch with him after a certain point and when she when he died she was still devastated and even though she hadn't seen him in maybe i don't know a decade maybe longer so you know even if those relationships are strained like <laughs> you gotta like give it a little a little something yeah, it is It is something that is surprising, especially because it's like one of the things that you know for sure is going to happen is that they're going to come to like, yeah, you know for sure that they're that they're going to come to your house after this happens. 
Of course, so you need to prepare for how. Yeah, what ha- react. what he says is weird. He says he says, "How do you do?" When he comes, when they come to her home, and they say, "We're here concerning your sister who had a cocktail lounge in Figueroa. She was found dead in her room last night." And then she goes, <laughs> "But that's just impossible. <laughs> I was with her last night." Yes. And then he says, "She took her own life. There's a suicide note written to you." And then she goes, "That's horrible." And they said, we're very sorry to have to put you through this, Mrs. DeLorca, but the coroner requires that you identify her body. And then she goes, oh, no. Oh, no. I, I just couldn't do that. I'm afraid you'll have to. And not and then, a scene earlier. She's, like, messing with this dead body like it's a stuffed bear. Oh, exactly. Yeah, but now she's on Showing no emotion. We all know that game. Everybody <laughs> who's seen an Investigation Discovery show, we all know they're coming sniffing around those family members first. So get your get your ducks in order and get your glycerin tears ready. You need to be in the. She should have been in the bathroom, sticking her fingers in her eye to make sure she could produce tears, <laughs> or just like I, slathering her eyelids in that Vicks vapor rub. Oh my god, absolutely! Sniff an onion, do whatever you need to do. I don't know why we're trying to help her, but like I um, did, it was weird throughout this movie. I did root for her. I didn't want her to get caught. <laughs> Uh, BT Dubs, this movie came out February 19th, 1964. The budget was around 1.2 million, which adjusted is around 13 million today. And uh, yeah, I also, um, I don't know. I couldn't find anything in the box office. I think it was too far. I don't know. I feel like unless the movie was a massive hit back then, like Gone with the Wind, there's not a lot of Mm -hmm. like information about like box office or movies. But if anybody does know, um, looking at you, Alice. Um, then feel free to share it with us. We Alice, love it when you share things with us. Our friend Alice Carney is our unofficial researcher who she listens to this and then tells us all of the shit we don't fucking know and are bad at researching. And we love every we love we it. We love, love it. you, Alice. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, yeah, and then the other thing was that I love how like she gets so she so she falls into like this rich bitch situation really easily and then she gets <laughs> i mean it fits like a glove and i have to say one of the things i thought about i'm sorry i don't want to i don't want to usurp your point but i just oh, no, I no. had a flat i had a flash where i was like brandon would absolutely crush at this <laughs> like you would you you would get away with this and no one would ever fucking know well, if I had a Janet to yell at, because it seems like Janet <laughs> takes the brunt of like her anger and her frustration. It's all directed towards like the maid. Like I feel Janet like the, the butler maid. and the chauffeur don't take a lot of it. But like as soon as she like walks in the room the first time, she's like, Janet, get out. It's just yeah, like, I know, poor oh my Janet. God, you could have asked her politely to leave. Like I know. But it's You're like, like mm. verbally abusing Janet. And she's like, Janet, cigarettes. Like as she wakes up, it's like Janet like literally is trying to bring in like your tea service and like your crumpets. And it's like, can I get these on, can I get these seated on like the little tiny table by your bedside, ma'am? And then I will take care of the next command for the day. I am also she's in like, the middle of like- She does, but she does like run to go get cigarettes. And then she's like, hurry, Janet. Like, it's like- what Yeah, she starts to leave. She's like, I'm going to go do the thing you just asked me to do. And she's like, no, just do it faster. Too sweet. And like- um. <laughs> Yeah, and she's not for Janet puttering around. And then that first scene when she comes in, Janet's like putting away clothes in her room and she comes in the room and she's like, Janet, I want to be alone. And Janet's like, okay, let me just hang up this garment. And then she's like, Janet, I want to be alone. (laughs) And she's like, oh, all right. I'll just drop it on the floor then apparently. It's like, 
I can't do my job. (laughs) You are in my fucking way. And the thing is, Janet, like, I kept... Okay, so definitely, like... At the at the very end, the butler reveals that he know he's known the whole time that she is um, Edie, and I knew from the second like you can t- I was like oh the butler knows the butler super super knows, but I thought Janet was gonna know too, but that was never revealed that Janet knew that she was masquerading. But also the butler earlier in the movie during those moments where you signed of where you kind of glean that he knows what's going on, mm-hmm. he had this look of contempt and disgust on his face <laughs> when like he would like sort of sense that something was off. And then at the end it's like, I love you, I'll defend you to the end. It's like, where was this energy earlier? I could have used an ally. I also think like the thing is, is that like he the way that he reveals to her that he knows and it's right before the trial at the very end and he goes he just walks up behind her she's walking the stairs and he goes at the trial what would you have me say and she turns to him and she goes you've known all along and i was like girl just because he asked you what to say at the trial doesn't mean he knows everything and you're just like revealing yourself but I that guess was he the whole know. thing with her was like she did not do a good job at, at like holding her cards close to her chest. No, like people would not. merely, it was all conjecture. Yeah. Everyone was just like throwing out a hypothesis. <laughs> Nobody had anything ironclad because I'm sorry, but you being like, oh, I mentioned a trip to Tahiti that we didn't take isn't enough for me to crack. Because oh if you God. say that to me, I'm going to be like, oh, you know me, Dr. the Dizzies. I've had a few too many drinks, <laughs> one too many gimlets. Leads to a slip of the tongue from old Maggie. No, it's just like it was before. Of course I'm your girl. You're a good time gal, just like I've always been. Like, no, I'm not going to all of a sudden be like, jig us up. Nope. That's the thing. She Never. gives it up so easily. So Tony, so if you guys haven't seen this, Tony is Rollins or Collins? I can't remember. I think it's Collins. Okay, so Tony Collins is played by Peter, Peter Lawford. Uh, plays Tony Collins, who's like the playboy that we find out that Margaret, as Edith pretending to be Margaret, finds out Tony Collins had was having an affair with her sister, and so obviously her with being Margaret, yeah, with Margaret, and so obviously her now taking on the role of Margaret, they have an intimate relationship that she's sort of been grandmothered into or whatever, um, <laughs> and like it's like clearly like there's been like an affair happening, and like then there's like um you yeah. Well, I was just going to say, like, so they have a couple of moments where he, like, first of all, is, like, kissing her and she's giving him nothing, which I think is really funny. It's like, you want to play this part, you got to lock lips and act like you like it. Or one good kiss and then end it. Yeah, exactly. But so he, like, ultimately ends up putting it all together. And the thing, the only, he, like, they're playing golf and he, like, suspects that she might be lying and all of a sudden he's like remember all those great times we had in tahiti and new orleans and wherever and she's like mm-hmm. and then he's like ha gotcha and he smacks her across the face multiple times he starts attacking her <laughs> and he's like you're Edie, aren't you i knew it i knew it you're Edie, and you killed your sister and i was like hold on that's <laughs> like, quite the leap <laughs> It's quite the lead. And I would have been like, oh, I didn't know you meant, I thought you meant separately. I've been in the media, I've been in Orleans. Not with you, you brute. Get your paws off of me. I'm Maggie if I'm a day. 
<laughs> like I would have never folded. Ever. To the grave. This is why I would say you would be so good at doing this plot because you would never give it up, no matter well, what I, happened. I, well, no, I'd be so deep in my denial that I, for all, you, that's the you only way you can do this. You'd believe it, yeah. Yeah, that's the only way you can do this is like to be so deep in the belief. And like, she never was. She wasn't, she never believed that she no. was. She spent the entire movie like kind of walking on eggshells and like waiting to be like, challenged on things and it was like and then she would make her move and whereas me it's like no i'm fully in the i'm fully invested in the fantasy i mean you guys see what happened when i put this wig on this was just five minutes ago i know and you are a fully different person the attitude has changed the demeanor has changed the way you hold yourself has changed you know well the last time i, I donned a wig for the fans it was for the enough episode mm-hmm. um but that was a completely different energy this is it uh, was yeah a woman who's had sort of an awakening and she's finally going to mm-hmm. go after what's hers and so mm-hmm. this is really like you know it's a different it's a different judge it's a different it's a different vibe, and we're living. It's a different for it. vibe, you know. I could also be one of these, you know, these young R and B, R and B starlets that are that are coming out with the hits mm-hmm. and stuff. I could. I, I'm ready to do a song with a SZA or a Doja Cat. <laughs> you know, I can do it. Um, you could. But so, yeah, no, it's. What are you gonna say? No, I was just gonna say to take it back. The way that. Tony reacts is absolutely bananas when he decides he. Knows well, he just slaps her a bunch of times. Also, she just starts like screaming. She's like, ah, <laughs> like not like get off me. Just like literally noises. Just ah. Oh. I don't know how I'd react if someone who I was like who was previously kissing me and like whispering sweet nothings not but one second before started smacking me in the face. I don't know what my reaction would be, but it might be a scream. <laughs> And then, like, and then he also, like, right after that, because she mentions earlier that, like, everything's tied up in probate right now. They're still trying to figure out the estate and everything since her husband died. And then, like, there's, and then he's like, give me those jewels. You can start by making your payments to me because he's a, he's a, he's instantly, like, I'm blackmailing you, mm-hmm. which is probably going to be his plan for for Margaret had this actually been Margaret anyway. Right. I roped you into this whole thing, and now I'm going to take you down with me. But, like, he starts blackmailing her, and he's like, I want all of those jewels you're wearing. So she starts taking off her jewels. She's got this massive diamond ring on. And then Dave was like, if all of her stuff is tied up in probate, there is no way that that ring is hers to give someone or any of that jewelry. Like they're going to do an itemized accounting of like the entire estate. So like you're Mm -hmm. not, if you're not in a position to give him the money or the car that he, because he starts by asking for a car. And then she says, I can't. Yeah, this Maserati that he really wants. And I have a Maserati. And so for me to see somebody that obsessed with it, it's a little bit, I don't know what that laugh is about. I have a Maserati. You couldn't drive a Maserati. I Well, my driver, if if I'm going to go out in it, if it's sleet, then I'm going to have my driver drive it. But if it's just like regular, like conditions like right now, I'll take it out for a spin. I'll go to like the McDonald's at the street and do donuts in the parking lot after they close. Um, Or hang out with some of my street racing buds. But um, um. who are your street racing buds? I just uh, love, like one or two names. Megan's Megan's husband Gary. We do a lot of street racing together. <laughs> Shout out Gary. Um, just around the neighborhood and stuff. Or I'll just we'll make a lakeshore drive. Okay, our bitch Megan. Megan's in the of husband the night. Gary lives in Los Angeles. I'm pretty. But sure. But he comes into town sometimes, and we get you know we get furious, we get <laughs> fast, and we we hit the we hit the streets with Dom and the whole gang. What um, do you do? Uh, what do you do when Gary's not in ex- town? 
I just, I go out there, pedal to the metal by myself. And I take like videos and I put them on my TikTok and I send them to him and I'll be like, what's your, I'd love to give you a shout out on the pod with, for your TikTok. So people know to follow you can go ahead and just give us your TikTok name. It's half pipe Brandon. <laughs> Cause that's my favorite part of the car. All car heads have favorite parts. I like the half pipe and uh-huh. I really like the steering wheel too. What does the half pipe in a car do? I'm not going to get into this with you because this is going to turn what? into a car No, I'm podcast. just asking I'm just I got asking my questions. gearhead listeners out there already know. And so I'm not going to like make it a whole thing. But I love half pipe. I love Because I didn't realize I there was a half pipe too. in a car. Because I thought half pipes were something you skated on. You can do both. And so okay. I'll do a lot of I do in the Yeah, car. I'd love to hear and from I the gearheads listening. And just, I like, let let us know what, what your favorite parts of the car are. And just, like, let us know how legit Brandon is, too. And I love axles as well for the car. <laughs> and so, anyway, yeah, car head, whatever. Live, die by it. But, yeah, so um, he really wants her Maserati, and she says no. It's in, everything's no, in probate. No, she doesn't have a Maserati. He wants to no. buy a He Maserati. wants to buy a Maserati. But he's, like, but he wants her to give him a car originally. And she says, I can't. She says, everything's tied up. And then he's like, well, give me those jewels. And she takes off the most massive diamond ring and hands it to him. And it's like, there's no way that that's yours to hand over if everything's tied up, girly. But also, she hands he wants it over. more, too. Oh, yeah. No, he, he goes, says, this he is goes, just come the... on. He says, come on, baby. It's safe cracking time. I wrote and he that also, down. He does. And he also says to her, he also says to her, um, this is just the beginning. So it's like, yeah. and in that moment, I was thinking to myself, she needs to kill him. <laughs> Like I was, if this was your story, you would be uh, you'd be murdering on the golf course. I will. Janet would be murdering. I'd be putting her to work. That's for sure. <laughs> Give her a little, a little taste of the dog. You know what I mean? A little taste of the rat poison. Make her put it in his OJ. Get rid of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Or I'd send her over to his apartment while he was puttering around my house and just put a little bit in everything. Little, little <laughs> like, magnesia well, it. he already has arsenic in his apartment. Yeah, he's got a paper bag chock full of it in the closet. We find out when the detectives start investigating him, there's like a loose paper bag. And they're also handling it like with reckless abandon. Like they are just walking around <laughs> with this bag of arsenic, like, like hot potatoing it back it. and forth. I was surprised they it. didn't lick it. I was surprised they didn't lick it either because they thought it was cocaine at first. And I was like, <laughs> you sh- also, I, I, I was like, why don't you know? Like, I feel like as a detective, you should be able to glean if something's cocaine or not from looking at it and then maybe no, even from giving it. No, you don't it, like... always know. It could be anything. Oh, well, you would know better than me. So anyway, no, 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 no. You said what you said. Live live in your truth. Um, no, but I mean, like, white journey. powder, white powder is white powder. So it's like, you do have to test things, right? Was that your slogan when you were selling drugs? <laughs> What'd you cut yours with, Jane? So that you can make more of a profit bones i pulverize bones of the people that i killed that's also and then i put it in my drugs oh we got um, ourselves a grave digger not a gold digger but you know <laughs> because it's spooky season spooky season family also, members an awkward conversation spooky <laughs> okay a couple of things that i did look up because you know i love an inflation calculator oh me too me too <laughs> so tony collins is a golf pro 
So, which means he makes a significant amount of money, I guess. And he lives in an apartment. And they were talking about the fact that when they were police were going to raid his apartment. And the reason why they were suspicious of him is because he took all the jewelry to a loan company and was trying to get them to... I don't understand why you would take jewelry to a loan company. I don't really understand how that works. But I think he was trying to sell it to them to get money. And then the loan company called the police. And so, <laughs> I don't think there was a search warrant. But I don't know how loosey-goosey the rules were in 1964 in Los Angeles about whether you could just waltz into someone's apartment and do a search. Probably but as loosey-goosey as they make them now. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, but the manager let them into this apartment. And it's and so then was like, don't tell him I let you in. It's like, yeah. Like he's not going to put it's the like, pieces girl, together, baby. I know. The door wasn't kicked in. <laughs> Somebody had to have the key. It was you, Papa Bear. Why Papa Bear? Why not? If Why you say not? It with, if right. you say it with enough conviction, it's fine until somebody questions you. Mm-hmm. That's like true. You just did. And I always will. But they said the apartment was between four hundred and seven hundred dollars a month for for those apartments. And so obviously I looked that up because I was like, it's supposed to be like a nice apartment. It is a nice apartment. And today that would be. $3,529 to $6,177. Yeah. Dave looked it up too and he was like, yeah, he was like, that'd be like around $4,000. And it's like, yeah. that's really expensive. But then we find out later on that she pays for the apartment. Yes, she does pay for the apartment. But I was also like, if he's a golf pro, isn't he making, I don't know, you're an, no. a, an athlete. You, I don't know how much money you're making. But then Not also that. we find out that earlier, but so they, they let us know that the money's in probate and um, Maggie's not going to have access to like the entire fortune until they figure it out in court. Mm -hmm. But they let her know you're getting $3,000 per month, which... In 2021, $3,000 per month in 1964 would be $26,474.23, which is, like, insane. But probably, but not really when you think about the lifestyle that she probably lives. No, of course not, but I'm just saying $26,000 oh, no, like, a course. month is, like... <laughs> insane amount of money to live on per month but i but i also if you're thinking about if you're Edie and you're hearing this for the first time and you're like whoa and also it's like does that include all house expenses or is that something that's i don't see i don't think it account? does but that that comes out to about three hundred and twelve thousand dollars a year oh my god i could live so well on that shit i mean yeah of course Who you couldn't? could like yeah like you like what shopping on like target.com yeah we'd be fine but like if you think about like how she's like you could spend that you could spend that on like half of a shopping spree you take one trip you go buy one bag from like hermes and oh then gosh, you course. hop over to like you know like i don't know um, lord and taylor or like somewhere like that and like you see, could just it's like so we don't even know how to spend that amount of no money. of course well we don't know because i would never go in there even if i did have that kind of money i probably wouldn't be going to these silly places but i mean no shade no, if I you would... can afford it nice work if you can get it but i'm I, just look, saying i would figure out a way to spend twenty six thousand dollars a month for sure yeah i know but we can't just spend it all on grubhub jane we actually oh my like... god fuck you <laughs> i mean i said we because we both would be doing it but i'm just saying like you know, we can't just, we're not going to have sushi every night. I mean, we'd probably go to Nobu and like yeah, Alinea would, for sure. I'd show up absolutely. at Alinea without a uh, reservation mm -hmm. and be like, Grant knows me. 
Um, but uh, <laughs> I don't think that's the name of the head chef, is it? Grant Ackett's, yeah. Is that his name? Okay, that is his name. Um, I, I just wasn't sure. Um, clearly. <laughs> but yeah, so I I would I would probably be able to figure out some of it, and I probably do a lot of googling. What do rich people do? Oh my god, um, me too. I would I would certainly figure out a way where I could just really ease into it. I'd probably show up at a really nice like high rise apartment buildings, and then with like a fur on, like a new money fur on, and then just like when like old white women walk out, I'd be like, "Don't worry, I'm rich too." I <laughs> just follow them. You would first of all, they would call the police so fast. <laughs> they'd be like, "Oh my god," and I'd have this wig on with like a chinchilla fur, and they'd be like, "This pimp is following me around downtown." Somebody step in. Out of control. They're like, I think he Cat said, Williams is behind me, but right? he's, he's said so his he said his name was Chanel. I feel, Sheena. He said his name was Sheena. Sheena. Um, but I'm not buying it. He's is wearing a really great red lip from Fenty, it looks like, but it's not doing the trick for me. Uh so yeah, that would be me just trying to uh, be adjacent to wealth and like <laughs> Deleting your number from my phone because no more, Please, no more struggle. Would, I would literally, I would literally be attached to your coat. You would never get rid of me. I know you'd show <laughs> up and you'd show up in a cab that you wanted me to go outside and pay for. Of course I would. I'd be like, sweetie, you gonna take care of that? You gonna take care of that tip and everything? I'd be like, here's a tip for you. Stick with your poor friends. And then I slam the door. In your face. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. It's a lot of money, though. You're right. I see. I don't think that this money would be going towards that estate, though. I feel like that's probably handled. That's spending a, money, right? Yeah, it's probably just like that's probably like her allowance. Like that's like her mm-hmm. mad money, probably to like just go out. You know, when she comes upstairs at one point, and like I did have that thought when she comes upstairs after going out, and there's all these new clothes, and she's like, "Where are these from?" And then mm-hmm. um, Janet's like, oh, this is all the stuff you ordered. It came in. And I was like, oh, yeah, like that's like old school, like catalog ordering, which she probably ordered that stuff two months ago. And oh it God, like I'm just sure. arrived. It's all that new, new. And it, but it must have been so annoying when stuff didn't fit you back then. I know. Like, because there's no customer you... service person to call. Janet, I mean, how Janet you... has to just send that back. I guess so. Get it in the right size. Also, I noticed like Betty Davis in the first scene as Edie. I don't know if you noticed this, but her belt looked so uncomfortably tight. It was so uncomfortable. I don't know why. I was like, lose it, girl. That looks like it's like it it was like one of the it's like when you um, tie a string around like a tenderloin. It was so It was the same thing at the end. Her last outfit after she, spoiler alert, convicted of murder and sentenced to death. When she's walking on that black and white outfit, her little belt that she had on then too, it was mm-hmm. so tight on her. I'm just like, this is not flattering. Like, and she's a nice figure. She's got a but, great figure. And it's like, nobody knows what size your belt is, girl. Size up. Um, yeah, unless, I mean, that probably reads as like, maybe like the costume designer coming in and like being like, uh, yeah, so it says on the paper here that you're a four. And she's like, what <laughs> of it? And like, oh, Any no, questions? No, it fits like a glove. Um, <laughs> you batch it, does. Meanwhile, she's got like bruised ribs and shit. Exactly. Um, but also the there's this outfit that she wears somewhere towards the end of the movie. I think it's the scene when the cops come to tell her that she's going to be arrested, and it looks so amazing on her. It's oh it's God. that dress. It's like a tube dress. It's a black tube dress, and then mm-hmm. it has this sheer. Yeah. Um, it has the sheer sleeves on it. She yes. goes through this period with three sheer, or four it's outfits. Not, it's a sheer cape. It's like, it's like a, a sheer cape over. But there's yeah. three or four dresses that she wears back to back. They're different dresses, mm-hmm. but they all look very similar. 
but they all sort of play off of like either like a thin strap or like completely strapless but there's all these different iterations of like sheerness over the top of them or some of them have these sleeves that are built into them and they're like the right amount of billowy and the right amount of fitted and then she's got a really lovely like piece of jewelry that like hangs down her it's framed on her decoupage so beautiful All of the brooches that she wears, she wears a lot of beautiful, what I assume are diamond brooches. When she's, the last one where they finally basically let her know that she's being rested, she's wearing this circular diamond brooch that is just like so gorgeous. And the whole thing, and and all of her dresses are black. She wears black the whole time because she's in mourning. She's in mourning. Also, it's a black and white movie. And so... One of the things I love about watching old movies is obviously all of the jewelry and the clothing. And this, I wasn't, like, because she has such a specific look during this time where she's in mourning or whatever. There isn't a ton of variety, but I did notice, like, her jewelry. She wore that, she several gorgeous necklaces. Um, <clears throat> when she attends that, like, cocktail party, she's wearing this insanely gorgeous necklace. Um, and she always has a, a, a diamond brooch on and in every dress that she's wearing, which I always really appreciate that they do. Um, so you, you get a taste of it, even though it's like she's, you know, supposed to be sort of wearing black all the time. And also, I was thinking about this movie. Sorry, this is like 18 thoughts at one time. But I was thinking mm-hmm. about this movie and <clears throat> it's all in black and white. And that's like... After a time where, like, I feel like Technicolor sort of was booming. And I feel like it was clearly a stylistic choice to do this all in black and white. And I wonder what this movie would feel like if it was in color. And, Mm. like, if it would be as creepy... Because there is, like, the music tells us it's creepy, the story, obviously, there's a lot of twists and turns and betrayals and murder. But I wonder, like, I, I just wonder how much it would change this movie if it was done in color, you know? That's an interesting, that's an interesting question. I mean, it, I've sort of, like, I took a look at some of the directing credits of Paul Henry, and I see that around this time he did a lot of, like, the which makes sense he did a lot of um alfred hitchcock presents mm-hmm. the hitchcock hour and all of this stuff was stuff that he did um before this it looks like he was working exclusively um in black and white up to this point so maybe oh, that wow, was okay. a part of why they they hired him obviously i'm sure all of those hitchcockian things and that um and obviously the relationship he had with uh, Betty Davis. I did read an interview with him where he spoke about, you know, working with her as an actor and then working with her um, as a director. And he spoke about how she was just the most professional actor that he, he ever worked with. And she just showed up to set prepared and focused. And also knowing what this would have meant for Betty Davis's career at this point. Also, whatever happened to Baby Jane was in 62. So this was a couple years after that. That was mm-hmm. a huge star turn for her. Um, she was nominated for an Oscar. She famously lost the Oscar to Anne Bancroft. But still, it was something that sort of got her back on her name back on people's, you know, lips. And this was another like sort of star vehicle 
um, for her and still maintains its 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Just saying. So, yeah. you know, the kids are talking and they're loving it. Um, the kids are talking. One of, it's high camp. Uh, one of the things that <laughs> I love in this movie is there's a scene where she finds out from, I think, her lawyer that she's going to sign paperwork the next day oh and she realizes that she doesn't know her sister's how to do her sister's signature and it's funny because edith strikes me as a person who is um quite resourceful and mm-hmm. very smart and mm-hmm. you see her with all these little scraps of paper that she only writes on one time and then crumples up and dave pointed out he was like you can flip that over girl you have to throw that piece away but <laughs> she then decides after like what looks like hours of attempting this signature which must be quite difficult that like you can't figure it out even a little bit. She mm-hmm. decides that she has no choice but to burn her hand so that she'll have to use her left hand. So she takes like a really hot uh, fire poker that she's been just like stoking in the flames. It's just been resting in the flames for an extended period of time. And it looks like it's like molten. And she picks it up and she sticks her hand to it. Although like, I will say her reaction was so like, <laughs> it was like, she didn't even like, I feel like the holding of it was so fast that it was just like, <laughs> like it was so quick. I, so I of course wanted to call this scene too, because it's so good. And I actually think leading up to her actually making the decision to do this is like pretty brilliant. It's like, the it's cigarettes. What, what do you mean? She goes over as they've noted, she goes over and she lights a cigarette. And she takes a couple of dra- It's like the moment she looks at the fire where she's like, okay, this yes. is what I have to do. She walks yes. over, she puts a cigarette in her mouth and she takes a couple of drags, which is just like, all right, here we go. She, like, yeah, she just, mentally prepares yeah. for this. And she's like sitting there, she's thinking, she's smoking her cigarette, she's watching the fire, she's waiting for the poker to heat up. You can tell she's psyching herself up for something. I didn't initially know exactly what she was going to do. And then the moment where she actually like picks the poker out of the fire and you know what she's going to do now at this point. And she moves, she, she's like, all right, let's do it. She moves her hand towards the thing and she grabs it for half a second and then screams bloody murder. And I was like, sis, (laughs) I don't think that was long enough. (laughs) I think it needs to be like a second or two. Longer. longer and she pro like just like a moment or two because yes. it happens so fast so um, fast she just touches it and instantly drops it and i was also like you know what girl you could probably fake this do you have any bandages that you could wrap around your hand and just fake it like did you really need to injure yourself who's gonna check you you're a rich woman jane you're a genius you're absolutely correct there was no reason to do any of this she could have legit wrapped her entire hand covered it in some sort of ointment Mm -hmm. and and also the thing is when you first burn your hand or a body part as i know from experience on accident (laughs) um i said to say on accident like you guys thought i was just burning myself but anyway um when you first burn your hand before like the welts and like all of the pus and everything during the healing process happens it Mm -hmm. really you it's honestly sometimes hard to tell from just looking at a, an area Girl, of skin. You remember, you yeah. remember my leg burn? That didn't yeah, shoot to like, like 26 yeah. hours later or something. Okay, not 24. 
26. I don't know why I chose but, 26. <laughs> but yeah, no, but it's true though. You're right. Like it takes like a while. It's usually like the next day. So she could yeah. have just like burned her hand or said she burned her hand, covered it in an ointment, wrapped it up. Yeah, nobody's going to check you. No one's going to check um, you. So that Because was really nobody, the, I, I did feel like though, like the guy who was like getting her to sign these papers and like, he, I, I, when he was like talking to her about it and she was like, will my signature be a problem? He's like, oh no, it shouldn't be a problem at all, my dear. You've, I, I witnessed it and I am a white man in this society. So what I say goes basically. And it was like, everybody in this movie is like simultaneously totally suspicious and also like incredibly gullible. So it's like, I couldn't look at him and be like, is like, I, because you're searching for information, right? Cause this is a thriller and it's all adding up. And I was like t seeing him do, and I was like, is he gonna come back and be like, I've known the whole time. But it's like, no, I think he was just like very surface level, like honest about like what he was experiencing. But it was like, it was almost too much that I didn't believe it. You know what I mean? Well, it's also, like, the thing with, like, missteps and stuff, when you're, like, that wealthy, like, who's going to challenge you, though? Because right. everybody works for you. Right, so exactly. So there's not really a reason to contest what you're saying. So, like, in those moments, like, there was this there was a really great moment where it reminded me a little bit. There were a couple moments at the beginning, right, when she sort of takes on her sister's identity and she, like, walks into this house and she gets kind of a little bold. And I mm -hmm. thought about, like, Mrs. Winterborn and, like, those moments that we were laughing about when, like, she like she goes too far with like not knowing enough details but she puts herself in situations yes. where like you're going to be challenged and like what you say is potentially going to be like you know thrown back in your face she puts right. herself in those situations but like she all she towed that line really well for this movie and not mm -hmm. putting herself in the situation and there's a moment when like the detectives first come to tell her that like her sister has died and she's comes downstairs and the butler tells her the detectives are in the sitting room and she doesn't know where the sitting room is. Mm -hmm. And so she says, well, tell them to come out here. And he goes to get them. And as he's walking towards the door to the sitting room, once he gets to the door right before he opens it, she goes, oh, 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 never mind, never mind. I, I will entertain them in there. It's like she so just smart. needed to know where the sitting room was. And she very quickly realized, I'm going to have him go ahead of me. And it was one of those moments where you're like, okay, she's yeah, working that with was, a full deck. She is. And she's going to be very smart about this most of the time. And it's it's actually really funny that you brought up Mrs. Winterborn because one of my notes is like, this is Mrs. Winterborn if the character had like nefarious, you know, intentions. Like this is like a... I mean, not the same thing, but it is like, it, it gave me those Well, vibes. it's that rags to riches and like sort yes. of like being ensconced in a society that you don't belong in and having to figure out a way to navigate it. Like um, there was, there's that moment like towards the beginning of the movie when um, her friend uh, Dee Dee Marshall played by Jean Hagen uh, comes over oh and God, she's like- the best character. I was like, she, I like, want to be Dee Dee Marshall. In, and she's like, also, I love that she, like, multiple times in the movie, she's like, I've called you multiple times and you haven't returned any of my phone calls. It's like, take the hint. I know. If you, if you ignore, well, if Jane ignores 20 of my phone calls, I'm coming to her house. 
You're showing up. Um, and uh, and there was a person at the party. So Dee Dee, first of all, this is such a flex that Dee Dee went away to Jamaica. And then she said, I'm throwing a home again party. You have to be there. Which I was like, that is an incredible flex that you're throwing a party for yourself after returning from vacation. Like what a rich person. Well, it's also like how much time has gone by. There were several points in this where I was like, I don't know how much time has gone by, but I don't feel like it's enough that you need to throw a welcome home party. You did not sojourn. <laughs> You think you, you were there for like a week or two. You think Dee Dee gives a fuck? Like, well, that's also excuse. it's that thing of like, it's like, this is what you do. I mean, you yeah, know, this is what you do. You throw you, parties, you and make you occasions. I mean, yeah. you just make occasion for yourself and you create events and, you know, your little clubs and your guild and all of that, you know, occupies your social calendar. So it's like, this is what Dee Dee's doing. But Dee Dee like corners her. I like, and like, I love how multiple people are like, we've been trying to reach you from for like months. And I love how she just curbs everybody. Everybody's been left on red. And like, well, this is what she says at the party where there's a woman goes, she goes, I wrote this down because I thought this was so funny. She goes, you're not, this is just a random extra. And she's like, you're not a girl, Maggie. I phoned so many times you never called me back. And <laughs> Betty Davis just laughs and walks away. She's like, Oh, it just keeps going. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she's like you and everyone else in my you and everyone else in my role of that sweetie. It's so good. I've really just been making time for important people. You'll understand. Well, maybe you won't. Toodles. <laughs> it's just anybody like, pulled that shit with me. Bother. I would be like, oh, we we're God. sitting down about this. <laughs> oh yeah, you're getting a lot of phone calls from Jane like drunk and crying. Well, actually, first we were of all, friends. Brandon, I sent you two text messages earlier this week and you didn't respond. I'm... <laughs> so anyway. For those of you who know, it was very important. It was one text message about Diane Lane's hair and a t funny TikTok. Yeah, you did say that Diane Lane's hair makes her look 10 years younger because you're obsessed with age shaming um, older women. <laughs> How dare you bring that up on the podcast? <laughs> you make me sound like I'm youth obsessed, which I am. I'm broken. I'm a broken woman and it's society's fault. Anyways, continue. Jane loves young people. She's obsessed with the hot new couples, Sean Mendez and Camila Cabello. They I don't know real... anything about them. <laughs> they're a real couple. And they're I do I do know nothing about them, but I root for them. Go go for it, kids. You know? Uh yeah. So that so that's a really great moment. And then um, there's also like, I just think it's really funny, like her whole relationship with like the sergeant, because it's like, yeah, he just keeps popping up and he's so familiar with her. And like, there's a moment after she identifies her sister's body where she like, which she does really quickly. And then she's like, give us her bye. Um, and then she starts to leave and he like grabs her arm. And I just thought you that's a lot for like, a detective like a sergeant in like the police force like grab like a millionaire like a millionaire's arm like that a female but you know she entertains him in a way that i think she shouldn't um because no well he keeps popping up asking questions he keeps popping up but also like he asks her like if she wants to go to like the break room and have a cup of coffee with him and it's like no but like, I that's also some think... stuff right and I think that is just to bring this into the mix too, where I think because I think Edith really did love Jim. Oh yeah, um, I agree. And so I think when he wants to spend time with Maggie, I think no matter how difficult it is for her, I think she probably wants to, even if it's a bad idea. 
because um, she, she knows yeah around him yeah you gotta remember the game you're playing though you gotta remember the players you know you do you do and i loved how at the end she still so she tries at one point when she's caught to confess to that's an um, that's a wild that is a wild scene oh my god it's insane so it's at the very end and she he basically puts it together sergeant jim puts it together that um maggie and tony tried to or killed frank um her late husband by giving him arsenic poisoning because he exhumes the body and tests it which i'm like they found that out fast also could they exhume the body without the widow's consent you i feel like you would need some sort of consent you need a little bit more than just like hearsay to like i think to Mm -hmm. warrant something like that taking place yeah it Um, seemed like something she would need to know was happening but if she's the reason if she's, if she's a, suspect, a suspect, then maybe, then maybe not. That I supersedes. don't know. That supersedes maybe. But like, and then she like decides to like confess to him. And she's like, I'm Edie. It's been Edie the whole time. Like, and it's like, either way, you're fucked because you're Edie admitting that you killed your sister or your Maggie who killed your husband. Like, no one is, no one looks good in this. What actually happens? Okay, so I have it pulled up. What she says is when he basically has cornered her, thinking that she's Margaret and that she had something to do with Tony and her sort of being in cahoots to kill her husband. And he says, She says, Don't you know me? Don't you know me, Jim? I'm not Margaret. I didn't kill Frank Delorca. I'm Edie, Jim. And then he goes, Mrs. Delorca, I don't know where you think this will get you, but you couldn't be Edie in a thousand years why edie was the kind of person a guy is lucky to meet once in his lifetime she was an honest to god good person sweet gentle kind and you lady you don't even know the meaning of those words edie would never murder her sister she wouldn't even hurt a fly and then she goes (laughs) forget it sergeant it was just a lousy joke and it's like, I'm sorry, but like, there's no forgetting you claiming to be your sister and like positing that you have replaced yourself. You have basically, you've placed yourself in her life and you have, you know, buried her under a false name. There's no like, <laughs> just a little giggle. I thought we could all use like, a little bit of levity. <laughs> what is your humor if that's like a joke to you? <laughs> yeah, that you pretending to be your dead sister. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, lousy joke. I would right, say girl. your yucks need a little work. <laughs> also, um, the one thing that we haven't mentioned, which I guess could be the elephant in the room, is uh, the death of Tony Collins. Um, oh my movie. God, I can't believe this. I, <laughs> so, so Tony Collins, you know, the tennis pro who's basically blackmailing He's blackmailing Edie at this point. Golf pro, sorry. He's blackmailing Edie at this point. And he's basically like, you know, I'm in this with you. Like, you know, this is after, you know, comments have been made in front of the sergeant that allude to the fact that like that arsenic that they found in his apartment that he said was for killing weeds, even though he lives on the 17th floor. Um, but he, but like, they're basically like, why'd you have this? And then he says, and then the sergeant says, you know, you say it's for, you know, weeds or whatever, but if we exhume the body of Frank DeLorca, are we going to find arsenic in his system? And Tony's sort of like, you know, we'll see your guess is as good as mine, basically very smug. (laughs) And then like the sergeant takes off and then Edie, that's the moment that Edie realizes that Margaret and Tony killed Frank. 
And so in this moment, Tony basically, she says, I'm done with you, you know, and, you know, I'm screw this life. And there's a dog, which we have not mentioned up to this point. Duke, the dog Duke. Duke, who is the dog. Great Dane? dog. I think he might be a Great Dane. I don't know. He's huge. I mean, he's is he sweet. Doberman? He might, he, he, but he's too He's a Great Dane. He's a Great Dane. I think he's a Great Dane. He's a Great Dane. He's so sweet. And you see him throughout the whole thing. Like, throughout the, he's, he is Maggie's dog. And he is sort of, I guess, what you find out is that Maggie didn't really have a closeness with him. But um, Edie, as she's pretending to be Maggie, um, gains Develops a a, like a closeness and a relationship and has a tenderness yeah. with him. And they're he's very. He's just a sweet dog. Just a sweet dog that got mixed up in all this. Got um, mixed up in all this. And the, the first thing I thought when I. Because this dog shows up like in the very beginning of the movie. And the first thing I thought was, oh my God, that dog's so cute. And he's pr- and he's dead. Like. Um, oh, what do you mean? Like now? Like that dog is dead. And that made me. Oh, sad. I think that all the time. I think that when I think about. When <laughs> I when I see episodes of, of Full House and Comet pops up. And I just think, Comet's dead. Comet's oh been dead for 20 God. years. I think that all the time it's like all these like beloved like Eddie from oh, Frasier. Yeah. Yeah. Dad is a doornail. And that's yeah. sweet dog. Well, I think yeah. Eddie, I think the first Eddie maybe died in the middle of Frasier and they replaced him. Uh, so Eddie, so Eddie too's gone as uh, well. Yeah, yeah, they're gone. Think about it. I bet you anything Toto from Wizard of Oz is dead. Um, yeah, I take that bet too, since that movie was made in the fucking 40s. <laughs> I bet you anything that the original Lassie from the 1960s television show has not, is not like in an older dog, like assisted pet sort of like home. What do you think about the dog from Beethoven, the 90s movies? Dead. That big St. Bernard. Fully dead. dead. All these babies. Yeah. I don't even know. Babies having babies. Yeah, I know. They're all dead. I also... I think the dog from Hocus Pocus is probably dead. Do you mean the cat from Hocus Pocus? That too. <laughs> I think the cat, I think the cat from Sabrina the Teenage Witch, shout out MJH. I think that that cat is also dead. <laughs> Nobody calls her MJH. I know, I was trying to start it. I kind of like it though. Yeah, you would. I don't Do, know. I think these... our childhood pets are dead too, Jen. Do you know the um, Chihuahua from the Taco Bell commercials? Fucking dead. It's probably more than one Chihuahua. I'm sure they didn't just keep the same Chihuahua under contract that whole time. Okay, well, I'm sure there's more than one Toto. There's probably more than one Beethoven. There's probably there's only one Toto in the band. Toto, obviously. <laughs> um, I think that. Let me think. What other dogs are dead? <laughs> this is the saddest conversation. Let's talk okay. about how Duke saves the day. Dead, yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's a moment where saves the day. There's a moment. Well, I mean, he had he had to die. Um, there's a moment where Tony basically is telling you know Margaret like you know or telling Edie as Margaret like you know you're not getting rid of me like I'm gonna I'm not going anywhere like I'm gonna latch on to you for everything it's worth. And he sort of he's being a little rough with her, and then like <laughs> yeah, a little rough. And um, Duke's not having it. And Duke basically rips his face off. Duke attacks, attacks him, him and takes him to the ground and then <laughs> murders him, which is like just the fact that that's, a, that's something within Duke that's just been like dormant. And it's just like all love, it like, took. All it took was her being like, attack. And he like is... The does thing she is, say is, attack? I don't know if he does. If she does. I don't think she does. 
I think she but, may say like Duke. I think she may say yeah. his name, but, but I'm not sure not if she say. actually says attack. But Duke goes to town and like basically eats off Tony's face. But you don't see it really. All you see is just like it gets cutting back to like Betty Davis like clutching the wall and then like the actor just like like moving his face back and forth on the floor with like different variations of fake blood on his face. The pacing for this attack is very weird. <laughs> like it doesn't there aren't enough like quick cuts for it to like seem believable. <laughs> but it is very funny. <laughs> Which and it's obviously not intended to be funny, but it it it, it tickled me, I'll tell you. And I was glad to see Tony be killed. He was an asshole. Okay, so she doesn't say she doesn't say get off, but she does yell Duke. And then she says get she just says Duke. Uh that's all she really says. She's Duke. And when she says Duke, I mean that's enough. An owner yelling a dog's name in, in a state of anguish is enough for the dog to like attack. But yeah. well, murder was the, murder was the case though. Yeah, you have like the a sh- Chihuahua mix though. So like they're not <laughs> known for like <laughs> Jack you know, is putting of everything. Punctuations at the ends of these kind of sentences. <laughs> he would just bark a lot and just be scared and just, yeah, like, and just run to probably me. piss himself, maybe. But like, <laughs> yeah, no. Duke goes to work. And while he's doing he it, does. she's holding onto this column and she has this grimace on her face that's like, <laughs> I can't tell if it's like shock or if it's joy that it's all happening. But it's just like it's a little of both. It's layered, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but like the camera zooms in on her yeah um, it's, and she keeps like looking looking away and then looking back and looking away and looking back without like, and also she waits 15 <laughs> minutes before she runs down the hall to like of course yell does. for like help which is like she watches yeah, she it's like she short of pulling up a chair and pulling out her own popcorn she like does everything to fucking watch this attack which is why place. i don't get the i don't get the it's like the, the expression to me cuz it's like i feel like the director doesn't want her to seem evil so he doesn't want to give us fully her like doing like a charleston in the corner while it's going on but like but her lack of action because this is what i'm saying about the pacing of this scene it is too long for her to be watching without get not getting help you know oh no she no she's she's waiting on him to die she wants them to come in while there's still like a little bit of a death rattle left in him so there's a little bit of fight maybe so she doesn't want him to be like in a full like rigor mortis situation, but mm-hmm. she also doesn't want there to be a chance of him living to tell the tale. So mm-hmm. like, it's a really delicate balance, which she's probably worked out since, you know, this is her second murder um, <laughs> so far in the movie. Second dance of the devil. Yeah, that we know about. She could have That we know about, yeah. Edie's lived that. a rough life and I still don't know if she got the money to open that bar in the first place, but. <laughs> I know, she, who knows what she She did. waits 15 minutes for him she actually watched she watched the first half of titanic she had the first vhs in um and then right up at the halfway point when like the steamy hand went up on that window in the cargo area she was like okay i bet and then she was like like, all right let me go tell somebody duke Duke is literally like in the backyard like sleeping at this point it's just like this is really weird he's He's, like sleeping off like the meat sweats yeah like ma'am the blood is like coagulated and hard and his body is stiff as a board and not light as a feather this isn't the craft you should have called this earlier she's like oh how would i supposed to know i've taken so many poppers before i don't know whether i was coming or going it was dookie the dog sweet boy 
Um, I also like that Duke was still alive, like at the end of the movie. So it's like <laughs> apparently under rug swept. Yeah, apparently, like I feel like I feel like nowadays, or at least like in the nineties or whatever, if your dog like bit somebody, like you automatically had not to put them bit down. somebody, murdered a man, murdered somebody. <laughs> but I'm saying like like I remember when I was a kid, like that would be a thing where it was like, oh, their dog bit somebody so you know now they have to put him down and it's like this dog like took a person's life <laughs> so also the day after this happens is the day that the cops come to basically tell her that they're gonna have to arrest her because now that they found arsenic in the system based on the fact that they found that arsenic which also it's like all you have like side i'm gonna get to that in a second but before i get to that when they come to the house the next day this is when she's in that fabulous dress that i was talking about and yes. we'll put it on the IG, her in the dress. But oh so when God. she's in that fabulous dress and they come to tell her and they say, um, I want to get this right. Hold on one second. Sorry. Because it was so good. Okay. So they come to see her the day after. They say, good afternoon. And she says, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Sergeant. Um, and he says, I have to talk to you. Okay. Because the whole thing was that they found this jewelry that belonged to her when they were searching Tony's apartment when he was just as a suspect. And then mm -hmm. she initially claimed that the jewelry was hers that she gave him. And then they're sort of like, huh, why are you giving him jewelry? Then we find the arsenic in his apartment, huh? And so then she's, they say, you know, how are you doing? Or, or, you know, whatever, we need to talk to you. And then she says, oh, okay, please forgive me. Yesterday was such an awful ordeal for me. And by yesterday was such an awful ordeal for me, what she means is, Tony was murdered by my dog. <laughs> I watched a man die. I watched a man's soul leave his body yesterday. Um, that's what she means by like, I'm dealing with like the Tuesday blues. Like <laughs> there was a full on murder and the blood still runs along the walls of my drawing room. Like <laughs> talk about a case of the Mondays. <laughs> but I love yesterday was such an awful ordeal for me. It's like and for Tony's relatives as well. Yeah, I think like news that he'd been murdered by your dog. Look, she's like, oh yeah, I know all about that. But you know, uh, the funnies weren't quite as funny as I expected them to be. That's what I'm talking about. Um, but well, I love my, how she's my maid Janet was preoccupied scrubbing the blood off the floor, and it took me at least thirty minutes to get my dinner after I had requested it. Exactly. I've never waited that long for Salisbury steak in my life. Um, <laughs> and then like, also, so like what we're dealing with, they're coming to basically arrest her on suspicion of murder. What they have, all they, okay, so what they have is they have, the sergeant saw Tony sort of rough her up outside when he realized that she wasn't Margaret, but he didn't hear the conversation. He just sort mm -hmm. of over, he saw it, he approached, they told him everything was fine and he left suspiciously. Um, and then they go to Tony's apartment. They find the jewelry that he's gotten that he's basically blackmailed her into having. And while they're searching her apartment, they all, while they're searching Tony's apartment, they also find a paper bag full of arsenic. Mm -hmm. And then the sergeant decides we need to exhume the body of Frank DeLorca to see if he died of arsenic poisoning. They find arsenic in his system. They confront Tony and um, Margaret. And when they confront them, then... Um, they don't really crack, but then Tony's killed by the dog the next day. Then the mm -hmm. next day they show up and they say, we're arresting you on suspicion of murder. So essentially what they have on her is her giving a handful of like jewelry to Tony, then Tony having a bag of arsenic in his apartment, and then her husband dying of arsenic poisoning, and that's it. 
So as far as yeah, I'm concerned, it's all circumstantial. It's so much circumstantial evidence that it's like the most you would really be able, I think, to posit is that he killed your husband. Tony's not here to lie or to tell the truth if Margaret was involved. He's dead. Right. So there's like, no way. But I mean, the only there's suspecting that she gave him those things because of blackmail. It's so circumstantial, though. It's so circumstantial, though. But like she could have just given him those things because they're having an affair. She's paying for the, his apartment. She wants him to have money. Maybe he needs a little had, extra yeah. cash. Like there I couldn't, are certainly yeah. ways around that, you know. Oh, weave or weave that tale. Like there was one time where he forced himself on me when um you know my husband was out of town i was so embarrassed he swore he'd tell everyone i knew they'd believe him he's a man and i'm a woman and mm-hmm. then he started talking crazy making you know threats about you know killing my husband but i thought they were idle imagine my surprise when i find out after burying my sweet beloved husband that he had something to do with it i, I had no idea until you'd come in here and told me he rescued me from his clinches. If it wasn't for the dog that night, Lord knows he would have wanted dessert. Like, <laughs> it's like you say whatever you need to say, but you don't have enough to, you don't have enough to arrest her and get a death penalty conviction on her. But they because... do, and she does. And the thing is that we've, it's because she folds so easily. She folds so fast. <laughs> and also it's, it's also just because she, it's also because she's a woman. And it and she and the idea and the juror is the jury is probably literally twelve angry white men, and I'm sure, I'm sure they all looked at her and they thought this Jezebel she married her husband her and rich her slut yeah exactly that's what they yell at Jane sometimes um, <laughs> well, when she passes the rich part <laughs> yeah when she passes by the the local Toys R Us sometimes um, <laughs> Jeffrey the giraffe and some of his cohorts but uh, yeah so. They have nothing and they come to her and they say, we're arresting you. And, and her first thought is like, that's not really me. I'm Edie. And it's like, <laughs> what? that's where we go first. It's um, not good. But I do. It, I started to say this earlier and I, I just want to say it again. The thing that she does that is a kindness to Sergeant Jim, who really is the only like. No, I agree. Person that you are that has their hands clean, you know in this movie is that she he asks her when she's being taken away after the trial after she's been convicted and he's like i can't get it out of my head you said you were itty and she was like you were right Edie could never do anything she would like that she was you said she would never hurt a fly and she couldn't and i was like that's one kindness you can give to this person you know to let him believe that the woman he loved was who he thought she was yeah no yeah he says yeah she's yeah, he says, last time I was at your house, you said something I can't get out of my head. You said, I'm Edie, Jim. Don't you know me? Something like that. Was that the truth? And she says, I'm Margaret Alorca, Sergeant. As you said, Edie would never hurt a fly. Yeah. And so she leaves him with, like, that one, like, kindness of just, like, mm-hmm. remembering, you know, Edie the way that, you know, that he wanted her to remember she wanted yeah. to be remembered, Which even I think though it's is like women a... aren't allowed to like be flawed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, I, I would say she's like a little more than flawed. Well, she's you know, murder was a case <laughs> that they gave her, but uh-huh. I just mean like the fact <laughs> that like she is guilty. <laughs> well, it's just the fact that like she's not, she guilty, would... she's not guilty of the murder that she's convicted for, but she's guilty of murder. <laughs> but also, her sister was guilty of murdering Frank well, and absolutely. murdering her dreams earlier. So. Everybody, it's a wash as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's not a wash. I it's would just have 
much murder, Bram. <laughs> no, I would have liked to see her walk freely, saunter freely mm-hmm. out of that courtroom. I think she deserved it. Her stupid maid, Janet, who's like, who's going to hire you now? Janet folded like a card table up there on the witness stand, 100%. which is also like, I don't know why the butler didn't pull Janet aside to be like, look, here's here's what's happening tomorrow. Here's the headline, sis, okay? <laughs> You're not going to get up there and start saying nonsense about the missus because she's like, she starts talking about like the maid makes some comment about like what the missus wants or something. It's like, girl, play your role. Yeah. The miss, no, she says, she says she never waited on Mr. Delorca, but that night she gave him whiskey and milk, which sounds disgusting. Oh my God, I did write that. I was like, is there a drink that is whiskey and milk? That sounds throat. fucking horrible. So yeah, um, but it's just do like, have, do you have like the whole script in front of you or something? I do. How did you get it? Did you, was it online or? I, I put in Dead Ringer movie script. Okay. Because I, I well, I've done that for some movies and it was. They're not always available. No. Yeah, it's They're hard not. to find. This so I was just was. wondering because you seem to have uh, it pulled up and I was like, you seem to know all these quotes. Did you write well, all you know, of these down? Your boy's prepared, you know? <laughs> I really wanted us to have some fun tonight. So I decided to, you know. I, I mean, I always that. want us to have fun. I support you. I love you. I see mm. you, most importantly. Mm. Um. And for all of your imperfections. And for all of your imperfections. And for all the times that you don't come through for me, um, but most disappointingly, you don't, all the times you don't come through for for, you. And for everything that you've done to me, I've, I I, like, I forgive, you know, and I move on and I, I don't forget, (laughs) but I forgive, you know. Everything that you, all the horrible things that you've done to me, they're exactly what I knew you'd do because I mm-hmm. know what type of woman you are and <laughs> I know that you are morally bankrupt. So <laughs> I don't hold it against you. Well, it's uh, interesting because we, you... we do spend a lot of time together and it's been eye-opening just in terms of your moral compass and where you stand. And it's sort of like, you know, if you think of a compass and you think of an arrow pointing north and that being, you know, <laughs> right. And it's almost like your, your arrow is almost always pointed in the opposite direction so south i guess you could say towards hell you know and that's sort of where you lie and where your loyalties lie and it's been interesting over the last few years to really find out um who you are someone asked me earlier (laughs) if i hated you and i thought you were a deplorable human being who had horrible taste And so, anyway, the movie... Who? <laughs> um, I thought you were going to say someone... Okay. <laughs> Sorry, we can end this bit, but... Bit? <laughs> real life, girl. Real life. Um, so, yeah. Um, Janie, Janie, Janie. This movie was a, a roller coaster. Um, it was. I, I, I do have um, one question for you, and that is, would you watch this movie again? I would watch this movie again. It was really fun. And I would love to watch it with you, like in yeah, person. Yeah, I agree. That'd you. be a lot of fun. Because there are certainly places that I wanted to pause and be like, look at this facial expression right now. <laughs> what <laughs> is happening? <laughs> and also, I do want to point out, like, this movie is, is a crazy ride, but it also mm-hmm. is, like, a really wonderful performance from an iconic absolutely you know capital m movie star like mm-hmm. the one the only two-time academy award winner should have been three looking at you and bancroft now we love you you're great too um but you know right, betty you davis know. she that she carries this film and 
it's really amazing. And there's actually a, a movie from earlier in her career where she also played twins that uh, is called A Stolen Life. And, no way. Uh, yeah. So say that movie actually was, I think, about 18 years before this movie was made, which is really funny. So she oh, probably was more around the age in that movie that she probably maybe maybe a little younger, but like what put her probably would have made a little more sense. Uh, but yeah, this movie it was is so a lot fun. of fun. It was so fun to watch her and like she does have that thing that you say where it's like you can't take your eyes off of her. I no, mean she is a can't. presence and like it's you know it's so we live in a world that is so distractible and stuff like that but then like you know and I find myself being distracted all the time but there are people are. who are um, fuck you there are people who are <clears throat> who come you know in front of the camera or whatever who just like you literally just have to watch every like flick of the hand every raise of the eyebrow and I just felt that way with her and I can't remember I'm sure I've seen a Betty Davis movie but I but this is the first one that I really remember watching oh wow yeah so oh that's, that makes me happy I'm happy that great. you you got to see it it's a good one um mm-hmm. but she's a lot of really wonderful other ones that of course watch at some point i love deception jezebel um i love now voyager that's a really beautiful film um hush hush sweet charlotte is another one that's like a little bit more campy than this and it has some mm. horror in it as well and it's got olivia de Havilland in it as well so well you know i'm here the campier campus. the better i know mm-hmm. uh so yeah, so that was awesome. Um, Jane, so I will fun. ask you, we are sort of continuing um, our spooktastic, um, you know, boogity-boo uh, <laughs> October um, extravaganza of horror and fright. Um, mm-hmm. Was there something else that you wanted me to, to set my people on? There was, and, and, I, and, I, and I ask you to prepare next week the best way that you can um, and watch um, a movie that is sort of a different... Um, a different take on the horror genre than you know than you have chosen and um i think it's maybe more of what you would think of as a traditional horror movie and i thought like mm-hmm. you know you chose a betty davis movie how can i do something that will um <clears throat> bring the same sort of iconography to your table that you brought to mine and so I decided to make you watch a movie called House of Wax. Ooh, okay. I've never seen the movie before. I know nothing about it. Um, well, I believe it came out in 2005. So that is all I will give you. I believe it's a remake of another movie, but I haven't done the research yet. So, um... I can't wait. I can't wait for you to see it. There are um, some good moments in it. I'm excited about it. I, I, I had a feeling you were going to counter with something that was pretty like contemporary. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, um, as Dave has pointed out, uh, it is a remake of a Vincent Price film. Oh, okay, great. So, awesome. That's awesome. So, I'm really excited to watch it. Yeah, I'm excited for you to watch it too. And I'm excited... Laughing? Because, first of all, you will have nothing but you in that wig for the rest of your life. It's because I it's because I did something different with the bang, where I just was like, I'm going to bring it all right towards the center, Eddie Munster style. Um, it looks fantastic. Thanks for the lies. You look gorgeous. I do yeah. I do like that wig on you, I'm not going to lie. It's you like wig. this, what I did? Yeah, it's great. 
Well, you don't. Um, anyways, thank you everybody for listening to us talk about Dead Ringer and Betty Davis and 1964. And we appreciate you all. And if you want to follow along, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Movies We Missed and on Twitter at MWM Chat. Um, we love you. We appreciate you guys. And we will see you next week for House of Wax. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Give her a little, a little taste of the dog. You know what I mean? You think one of the dogs are dead? <laughs>